Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash Trending Topics with BB. Hello and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. You have heard this before, or if you're a new listener, that's my catchphrase. Thank you again to all of the people that are discovering this podcast. I am seeing a trend of people. If you like this podcast, I do want to remind you that we are on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So if you go to the pages for Trending Topics with BB on iTunes, just type it in on iTunes or look it up on Stitcher. Please give a favorable rating and a good comment. It helps this podcast be found by other listeners. And as well as you can find us on social media, the podcast can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can look on Facebook, or if you would just prefer to go to bbmediaindustries.com slash trendingtopicswithbb, you'll be able to find all of the links to all of these pages that have just previously been mentioned. Now that that's out of the way, this week on Trending Topics with BB, I had the privilege uh, to speak with Will Rogers, William Rogers. He's a comedian. We had a really good conversation about censorship, musical comedy, the difference between improv and stand-up, uh, where a career could head, where it could lead to, and I felt that it was one of the best conversations this podcast has ever seen uh, or heard. <laughs> uh, but without spoiling any more of it, I would like to introduce you to William Rogers. All right. Well, uh, again, I appreciate you uh, wanting to be on the podcast, Will, and uh, thanks for appreciate joining you having me. me. So, uh, <clears throat> obviously, we've met via Twitter, social media, and um, I kind of, you know, wanted to speak to you a little bit more because, um, they, you know, I have been getting more into comedy, like, my personal self, like, I love, I love, love comedy, but, like, I, you know, been getting back into it and kind of wanting to learn more about how each comedian kind of has their own thing. And, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of wanted to speak to you because, I mean, in this day and age, you know, everybody does it differently. So let's kind of start with, you know, where you, you know, began and, and kind of like, you know, where your your career kind of started and kind of how you got into it and then kind of go from there. <clears throat> well, I mean, I started in high school. Um, I did my first stand-up bit when I was 17. I did 15-minute sets. And then... uh I didn't start with the three or the five, so I've always actually struggled whenever I've had to do a shorter set because I'm a talker. Um, but, I mean, I started as, I don't know, are you from Arizona? I am. I don't know if you guys had these things called senior projects or whatever. We had to have them out here in California. When you're in high school, you're required to do, like, a project of something you've never done before, and then you have to write, like, an essay paper on it and do an oral presentation and all this jazz. So I basically cheated and did stand-up comedy for my senior project. And uh, I did my thesis paper on 
uh, Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor and their influence on dark comedy. And uh, I just did a 15-minute set for my presentation, so it made my life a lot easier because I'm not really a big school guy. But uh, So that's what I did originally, and then I um, was big into battle rapping when I was younger. So I kind of morphed from comedy into uh, musical comedy and musical improv. And so uh, right after high school, uh, after I graduated high school, I went to uh, the Improv Olympics in L.A. And you had to be 18 to enter, but I had facial hair, so I lied and said I was 18. And uh, I entered the Improv Olympics, and I actually ended up winning in two categories. Um, the one I was most proud of was the musical improv. Got to meet Wayne Brady and all that fun stuff at 17. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, so shortly thereafter, I just hit every single mic that I possibly could. Um, but I always, I always struggled hitting mics that only let you have short time. Um, I always, I've always been a storyteller or, a, or I wrote musical comedy. So if I had a three minute set, I had zero time to lead in or segue with my with my bit and then do a song because most songs, you know, are anywhere from two to five minutes. So it kind of forced me to just get on there, talk really fast, and then just jump into a song or absolutely skip the musical portion, which is what my strong suit was in the beginning, and go directly to uh, one joke. And with comedy, you can't just do one joke on stage. It doesn't work. You've got to, you know, beat them with one quick joke, then tell a little small joke, and then beat them again with an ender. And uh, that was really, really hard for me. But if you gave me 10 minutes, I can win over the audience so great and keep them and stay focused. But and I think that's probably a lot of comics' problem is they, in the beginning, they only give you a short amount of time. And so you feel all this pressure to just, Oh, I've got to come up with something funny, and it's got to be really great, and I've got to do one funny joke, and then I've got to tell a story, and then I've got to do another funny joke, and then I'm done. And uh, when you're putting that much pressure on someone who doesn't do it for a living or doesn't talk for a living, it's it's really, really hard. And I think in my my time, I think there's a handful of them, obviously, the, the Stephen Wrights and the Mitch Hedbergs, who are so good at one-liners. But for the for the most part, comics are not, you know, we're not one-liner driven. And I've always thought that the best ones are the ones that took the time to tell a story. And uh, so, if you're that type of comic, if you're that type of comic, and you run into that problem at the beginning of your career, it's gonna it's gonna hurt you the whole time. Did I mention I was so, a talker? <laughs> yes, I have a quick question about that. So, in terms <clears throat> of when you went to like improv, because like I I've heard stories from different comedians, they have their own paths. So, in terms of improv, do you think improv hurt or helped in that situation? Because, like you just said, that part of the reason is, you know, trying to, like, figure out ways to, you know, do a short set when, you know, um, you want to do more. Do you, do you keep this edited? I've, I've always been an asshole, I, and, and I mean that in the nicest sense. I... If anybody who does stand up will tell you the person that goes over the or past their red light is the biggest asshole in the place because all you're doing is hurting somebody else. Um, and in the beginning, I got a little bad reputation because I'd constantly go over. 
because I tried to do the three jokes in the time period, and it was just impossible for me. Um, but with improv, improv I've always found myself to be much quicker because it's natural conversation. Um, I've always said the best liars make the best improv actors because, I mean, that's basically all you're doing is having a pretend conversation and lying your way out of it. Um, I don't... I have a weird philosophy on that. Uh, I think that if you do improv a lot, you can get better at it. But I don't think you can take someone who's not good at improv and make them good over time. I just think that you only get better when it comes to improv. And certain people get it and certain people don't get it. Um, there's actors in this world that can outact me under the table hand over fist. You know, they're just incredible, really good at certain... Uh, genres, be it drama or even comedy, just really, really talented actors that just don't take a grasp to improv. Whereas improv for me, I mean, I was the youngest person on my improv troupe up until, you know, now where I'm an old person. Uh, always just because it was, it came natural to me. So I don't think that improv hurt me in regards to making me better at stand-up. I don't think it helped me either because I don't put the two together, really. Um, the only thing where it helped is, I guess, with musical improv is a lot of my songs that I wrote over years were just me and a really good guitarist just riffing and playing for, I don't know, two hours and two bottles of whiskey and recording it and putting together what we liked and what we didn't like. And that was most of what I've ever written has all just been improv. But I don't know if I can correlate the two, really. Okay. So in terms, what makes, I like, other than the obvious answer and the music, what is all of, what draws you to, um, you know, musical comedy as opposed to just straight-up stand-up? Um, it's really going to go back to growing up. I had a serious identity complex, um, and so I battle-rapped for forever. Um, and I think that musical comedy, in a sense, especially if you're going to use it to um, razz or make fun of the audience, musical comedy is a lot like battle-raps, only the entire audience is the person you're against. Um, and so it was more like not as not not as much the music as it was just the uh hindering to something that I was already uh familiar with and uh something I liked um, the only difference being that you have to go fifty percent making fun of yourself as well as the audience in order to get the audience to like you, but I would say it was definitely because I grew up battle rapping and uh always just thought that I was going to be a rapper until I came to the realization when I was 16 years old and I went surfing with my dollar sign chain and uh, I lost my dollar sign chain in the ocean and I took that as uh, God's way of telling me to stop. So I just kind of quit ever since then. Okay. So... Why do you think that when people think of comedy, they either think of improv or stand-up, but, like, I personally respect those that are, you know, like yourself, that do musical comedy. Why do you believe that there's a focus on one or the other, or 
those two out of like you see more in the media and you see more of those types of comedy that you I mean it's really you have to be talented and you have to be passionate about the music side to do musical comedy so why do you think that it's kind to me it's kind of people are forgetting about that form um I think it's a trend I think a lot of things are very trendy I mean you know there was a short period of time where everybody thought, and I'm just going to toss out Wayne Brady. I mean, there's other Stephen Lynch. And, you know, there's a billion musical comedians that have been successful, hard and firm. Um, but we'll use Wayne Brady for an example. When he came onto the scene with Whose Line Is It Anyway, that was something that a lot of people had never seen before. And they just thought he was so talented, and he absolutely is and was. Um, and I think that it, it caught on like fire. Um, the unfortunate thing with musical comedy is if it's not 100% catchy, it's not something that people are going to want to hear again and again and again. So the tricks with um, a good musical improv artist is to actually create hooks that, that stick with people. Uh, Tenacious D, you know, thrived on it for years. Um, but I think that a lot of the musical comics, they write things that kind of are funny in the moment, but not funny later. It's one of those, you know, you had to be there moments kind of, whereas I can make some small joke or, you know, when you're in the audience and a heckler comes out and the comedian makes fun of the heckler and the whole room explodes. Right. It, it doesn't have to be the best joke at that point in time to make the whole room explode. It's just the room wants that to happen and it happens. And I think that's often the case with musical comedy, where the joke is funny in the now because either A, you know, it's off the off the top of your head and they're just like, that was so impressive that he was able to even make something rhyme and have some sort of continuity with the rest of the song. Um, <clears throat> whereas when you replay it, you're just like, yeah, it's funny for the moment, but is it really funny for the, you know, long, long run? Um, and that being said, like I said, everything goes in, in – uh, droves and uh youtube came out and youtube kind of started doing not not even musical comedy more of just parody music and <clears throat> i'm sure anybody that's young that's going to listen to this is going to just give me the middle finger and say i'm old but it's awful i mean if you look at parodies for for what they are they're a song that's making fun of the original song with original content, but at least the rhyme scheme is supposed to match. And, like, if you look at someone like Weird Al Yankovic, the reason that he is so revered is so great is because his rhymes that he told matched and rhymed the original uh, rhythmic pattern of the original song. But today, all they do is take the original song and the beat, and then they just put whatever words they want to it and call it a parody, where the words don't even rhyme or lap over the original words. And so, in a way, I'd say that the today's, I don't know, culture, today's entertainers, today's youth ruined it because they put out so much of it and it really wasn't great. If that makes sense, I don't know. Anytime after 6 o'clock, I'm drinking. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the whole game. So, so, I'm four no, bourbons I, deep, and I just got really, like, philosophical there. Uh, it's just, no, if but, that makes any I, sense. Well, I understand what you're saying. So, basically, the the evolution of the YouTube star has changed, really, the outlook on what musical comedy is when it's, there's, it's not what people would view on YouTube. It's basically, there's more to it than that. Correct, and I mean to just to simplify it, the shock value of musical comedy is what makes it really great. That's that's why it's called musical comedy. Comedy is all about shock, and um, a lot of people will go and watch a comic, and then he'll be back in the same town six months later, and they'll go see him. And if it's the same bit that they saw six months ago, they get mad at him. Like, oh, I saw this already. Whereas Aerosmith can sing, you know, the same 15 songs for five years and the fans enjoy it. So if you take those two aspects and say, you know, people are okay with hearing the same song as long as it's their catchy song that they can sing along to that they love to sing the lyrics with as opposed to <clears throat> a lot of people don't like to see a comedian hear his greatest hit. It just doesn't happen. You, I mean, I'm sure you've been around and you've seen enough to know not many comics can go and be like, Dave Chappelle's greatest hits tour. You know, nobody wants to hear Dave Chappelle come out and be like, I'm Rick James, bitch. It just wouldn't happen. Um, and I true. think that might be the the defining line of what longevity exists with musical comedy. Do you think also that there's, because there's such a, well, in our society about being politically correct, still, oh, that's fucking, that's fucking murdering that everything. That's, that's murdering everything. I mean, to me, like, that's a, that's a whole path of seven hour conversation. This whole society is fucking weak. You can't say any, I'm sorry, again, are you editing this or are, do you okay with the program? No, it's uncensored. Go for okay. it. Okay. It's, this whole society is fucking weak. I mean, you can't make any jokes anymore about anything without people being absolutely offended. Um, and you see it every single day when comics say anything and they're like, oh my gosh, he needs to apologize. He needs to apologize for this. He needs to apologize for that. And with some of them, we'll use, you know, Ricky Gervais as an example. Fantastic comic. He can say whatever he wants. And still get chastised for it and be like, oh, how could he say that? How dare he? And as far as the offense goes, if you take someone like Ricky Gervais, who has said multiple things that have offended people, he's got that 50-50 backlash of a huge backing of fans saying, he's just telling a joke. They're just fucking jokes, people. Get over yourselves. But he's also got an entirely gigantic backlash of how dare you say that? That's offensive. You know, that's sexist or that's bigoted or whatever, demeaning, whatever they want to say towards whatever joke he just made. <clears throat> but that's Ricky Gervais. Now let's take John Doe, for example, a young comedian with a lot of talent who wants to say edgy things and tries to do the exact same thing. Well, when John Doe does it, he doesn't have the fanfare or the backing to support it. So instead of the support meeting the backlash, it's 100% backlash 
with very little fanfare. Now, there might be a few people in the audience going, oh, get over yourselves. But for the most part, people are afraid to speak up because they don't want to offend anybody because they might get their feelings hurt. So everybody just lets it go. It's the same society that hands out these participation trophies. It's the I don't want to hurt your feelings society. It's the, you know, I'll catch a lot of shit for this, but the no bullying campaigns. Yes, I agree that some bullying are complete assholes. Obviously, they've been assholes for years. But bullies don't stop when you're kids. They don't, you know, you don't hit like 18 and bullies go away. There's bullies in everyday life. So by us just saying, oh, he's such a bully. Yes, let's, oh, he's a bully. That's what it is. It stops the little kid from punching the bully in the throat. And I think that that's something that society's lacking. Uh, I mean, I've been fat my whole life. I wear glasses. Um, I got made fun of a lot growing up. But if it wasn't for the people making fun of me, I wouldn't have become as quick-witted as I was. I wouldn't have had to stand up for myself. And, you know, I think that that's just something that we as a society are killing off as a whole. And, I mean, if you talk to any comics who tour with, with a group of guys or any, any roadie group that gets together, the best jokes that you can ever tell amongst people that you, that you like are the most offensive kind. And I, for some people that's really hard to grasp. But I mean, if, if you get a group of comics in a room together, the conversations that, that are said, could never be put on TV. People wouldn't believe the words that are expressed. It's because when you do this for a living or, you know, you write for a living or you've been around it as long as a lot of individuals have, it takes a lot to shock you. And do I think there's a line you can cross? Absolutely. There's always a line you can cross. But the job as a comic has always been to expand that boundaries, to push that boundaries, to make you feel uncomfortable so that you can embrace that memory. Um, that being said, I think that there's some absolutely terribly offensive jokes that have been said that are still funny. But are they offensive? Yeah, you know they're offensive. But what we've done now is now everything's offensive. So I think that's why you're seeing the lack of George Carlin's, the lack of Richard Pryor's. Uh, the lack of even Eddie Murphy. You know, I mean, Chris Rock, uh, all these comics that are just getting in trouble for what they're saying or having to apologize. Jamie Foxx made a joke and had to apologize. Chris Rock makes a joke, has to apologize. Um, too many apologies. Um, that's the absolutely insanely long answer to your yes or no question. Well, no, it's good to explain it. So I, I agree because there there seems to be just such sensitivity to humor. Like people don't have that sense of humor that they want. Mm-hmm. But everybody always mentions, like you just did, like Richard Pryor and Carlin and the greats. But they, but to then be offended by comedy that happens now because it's weird that, like, the same people that don't praise Richard Pryor have been around will also be offended by, like... Oh, 100%. With the language or the context, 
or any of the jokes that he made. Uh, right. I mean, Which you know, make to, sense. to take to take one today's society is. Um, we'll just go with the racial divide that's occurring today. It's it's humongous. Um, one side is saying that one side's more racist than ever, and the other side saying that the other side's being more racist than ever. And whenever comics try to make any racial jokes now, it's completely oh, how dare you? How dare you? And it's on every side of the fence: black, white, Mexican, Asian. It's it's almost become taboo to even try and make these jokes. <clears throat> but when you look at someone who's grown up on the actual times where racism was at its highest, not now. I don't. I don't. You know. I know that's uh, you know up to perspective. I don't feel we're at our most racist today. I feel it's been a lot worse over the years. And I think that we had moments in, in our times where you can take uh, Sammy Davis Jr., for example. Uh, he There was a lot of racial jokes that made him the butt of their jokes. But at the same time, it was breaking down racial barriers because why would they not make fun of Sammy Davis Jr. but make fun of everybody else in the group? By not making fun of Sammy Davis Jr., to me, would have been more racist than to make fun of Sammy Davis Jr. in the Rat Pack. Because they're already making fun of Frank. They're making fun of Joey Bishop. They're making fun of uh, Dean Martin. You know, they're, they're razzing each other, which is what friends, family often, um, and definitely comics have always done. So by not making fun of Sammy, to me, would have been a huge offense. And people say, well, yeah, but that was seriously belittling. No, then Sammy got his his Italian jokes and his WAP jokes in, and he got his chance to say things. And the fact that they can make fun of each other and be friends at the end of the day, to me, did more for the racial divide than anything. Um, you take Richard Pryor again and Gene Wilder, the relationship that they had, um, a lot of their humor was based on uh, racial content. And if you take those two for what it's worth, and you listen to the stuff that they said, some of that stuff was bad. But it made you uncomfortable, but it also made you laugh. And if you could see that kind of stuff happening between people who were so polar opposite on the ends of the racial spectrum and still have love and admiration for each other at the end of the day, I think that helped close the divide. Today, we're putting a fork between the two and prying it so much that you can't even make something because the tension in the room is so thick. Um, as I've mentioned a thousand times, I grew up with a huge identity crisis. I thought I was black for a very long time. Uh, there are several derogatory statements that they use for a white kid who's wearing fubu jerseys and dollar sign necklaces and battle wraps. Um, and obviously my demeanor has changed quite a bit since then, but I mean... You, you you put me around my friends that I grew up with, and it comes right back. But when I make a joke when I'm around my black friends, and it's a funny joke, it's not, you know, it's not a race. We'll take, uh, I don't know if you, do you follow me on Twitter for very long? I don't know if you have. This yeah, is a I true statement. I've followed you for a while, yeah. This, this is a true statement. This is actually something that happened. On Halloween, a little black girl came up to my house, adorable little black girl dressed like a princess. And it's dark on Halloween. You got, you know, one light on or whatever. And I said, oh my, and she had a princess outfit. You could tell it was a Disney princess outfit. And I said, oh my gosh, aren't she the cutest little frog princess? And she looks at me and goes, I'm Cinderella. And I was like, oh, 
I didn't even know what to say, so I just, like, dumped a whole bowl of candy into her thing. Um, because I just saw an adorable little black girl wearing a princess group thing from Disney, and I assumed it was Frog Princess, which is probably racist off the top of your head. Probably. I think it's, uh, what's the term that they, you would use? Um, non purpose I don't know what the hell I'm trying to say. It's definitely not racial in a sense of negative. It was just an accident, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And my black friends thought that was the funniest thing that I ever did because they know that I was caught off guard and I was super embarrassed. So I tweeted about it, basically the entire scenario that I just told you. And uh, it did really, really well amongst the black community. But my white followers... For the most part, white women in their 30s were calling me a racist and how dare you and you are so closed-minded and you're what's wrong with today's society. When it was just an honest racial accident, I don't know, is that a word? Is that a terminology? Is there is there something for that that's a better terminology than what I'm utilizing? Well, I'm trying to think of something, but I, I, get, I understand what you're saying. Like, it was, you're like, no, I'm you're just racist, thing. Will. You're like, no, you're just racist. No, uh, no, I, but, I get what you're saying. It's just a moment like that that was funny to me, and it should be funny. It, to me, the only person that's getting made fun of in that scenario is myself for right. just blindly assuming. Um, but then I've often made the joke, too. If I was wearing a trench coat with sunglasses and I walked up to your house, you wouldn't know what the hell I was, even if I told you I was shaft. You know? So, <laughs> I mean, there, there is some of that that needs to be put into play also. I mean, um, but that's, that's a whole other ball game. Holly would have a, would have a field day if Will Rogers were playing the next shaft. Um, well, but just you mentioning that makes me want to laugh, because that's funny. Like, correct. And thank you. Right. So, I, I agree with what you're saying. So, how can we, like, I understand people being offended just when you're talking racism, but at the same time, it's good to joke about it. And, like, the, the whole Oscar thing with Chris Rock was great because he just went up there and told jokes and was like, and it was hilarious, but like the and he made light of the whole situation where they were like, "Oh, this is such a white thing," and it's like, anyway. My but no, and, and it does like, it does go well beyond race. It goes so much further than race. It goes with right. the gay thing. I've got so many gay friends, and when me and my gay friends get together, what do you pick on? You pick on what you know. You pick on the obvious. They make fat jokes to me. I make gay jokes to them. When we were uh, in uh, in Whittier, California, we had to stay in this place, and we got one bed, and it was me and my gay friend, Sean. And so he's like, well, do you want to sleep on the bed? Do you want to sleep on the couch? I said, I'm sleeping on the bed. He's like, well, I'm not sleeping on the fucking couch. I said, all right, then we're sleeping in the bed. He's like, you're going to sleep in the bed with me? And I said, yes. So he went in, he went and brushed his teeth, and he came back out, and none of us had pillows because I built a pillow wall between the two sides of it. And of course I'm going to do that. Now, if I were to be like, oh, I'm not sleeping in this bed with a gay guy, not without a wall or a pillow fort or something, people would be like, oh, you're such a baguette. How dare you do that? But when it's two guys, it's 
We're just fucking friends. Same way I'm going to make fun of anybody. But again, society won't accept it because somebody's got to stand up for the the wronged. I mean, if you look at... This is like the coldest thing you'll ever hear me say, but it's... Survival of the fittest is a very true statement. And people want to believe in science and they want to believe that evolution has proved that survival of the fittest is a very accurate statement and sentiment. But today, when the weak or meager come forth, we coddle them instead of letting nature work its way out, if that makes sense. And I think that that's going to be the case for forever. I don't know if I don't know if we can come back from this unless we hit it really, really hard. Um, I think that people are too afraid to make those bold statements anymore. So, the Richard Pryors and George Carlins are gone, and I don't think they'll come back. So, I guess my next question would be: Is if that's the case, then are those of us that are, are fans of comedy and understand and, and and appreciate the form, whatever it be, improv, musical comedy, stand up, whatever it be, is it are we supposed to I mean we stand by, it by going to shows and supporting <laughs> all of it, but at the same time you would like what we see in the media or what people put out on like their specials or you know and I I think there's still I think there is still some comics that are doing good I wish I could remember his name Uh, a gentleman just had a special on Netflix that I watched I had never heard of him before but it was very good and um, you know I'm an asshole for not remembering the name I'll DM it to you after I look it up or something after this um and he was very good, and I was like, "Wow, this is crazy! How how is this even coming out? It's 2016. This is wow!" And then I look at the rating on Netflix, and it's got a two out of five, and I'm just like, "Well, not enough people are watching this. I don't understand how it could possibly be a two out of five. But then I look at, and like I said, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't know enough about you to uh, delve into what your personal likes and dislikes are, but. I know you had to have been up on some pop culture when this whole video went out because the kid was on Ellen. It was some video of some guy that goes, damn, Daniel. Do you remember that at all? Right. Yeah. How the fuck is that funny? I don't, I don't, I'm I don't still trying to figure that out myself. It. So you've got these insanely talented individuals running everywhere, making, making very funny things, doing things with talent, doing things with skills. And it gets, you know, a thousand likes or maybe a thousand likes. Some of, the, some of the most funny people in the world are only getting, you know, 40 likes or 40 views. And we're basing their talent and ability off of these views and these likes. But Damn Daniel, a video that I cannot understand whatsoever, is in the millions and millions. And to yeah. me, that as a, as a societal whole should be the big what the fuck. To everyone, because if you see that, I don't know, I, I've, <laughs> my parents, I remember when I was in fourth grade and I'd sneak off and listen to Tupac, my parents would ask me, how do you like this trash? And I'm like, I don't know, how do you not? And Damn Daniel is me having my exact 
parents' reaction to Tupac Shakur when my parents are like, how do you like this? And these kids are like, what do you mean? It's hilarious. You know, just like, I don't, I don't even comprehend it. It's, it's like kids telling me that broccoli tastes better than a chocolate chip cookie. No, it doesn't. There's certain things that just don't, I understand it's healthier, but it's not better. Um, and that to me should be enough evidence for you to go, you know what? You might be right. It's not going to get any better. They continue to put out the same drivel, and uh, I just don't get it. And I don't think Twitter's helping. <laughs> I think Twitter's one of the worst things that ever happened to this world in the sense of comics, who I'll talk to a lot, because I know way more comics that are a billion times more successful than me. I'm primarily writing now. Um, but I'll talk to comics, and they're just like, how do you get all those fucking retweets? It's, how do you get all that? That's so stupid. And I'm like, first off, I don't get that many. I wish I got way more. Uh, secondly, fuck you, you've got a successful career. But they will actually call me and go, I don't understand it, Will. I tweeted this. I thought it was hilarious. It only got 40 retweets. I have, you know, 700,000 followers. Why is this possible? And then they'll send me something else and be like, look, this kid just said something about a mixtape being fire, and then he sent an emoji with the heart eyes, and then an, then an emoji with the poop. And it got 4,000 retweets. How is that possible? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. I, I have no idea. And um, so I think that with the constant uprise of the youth humor that I don't understand and so many of my friends don't understand, and maybe it's because we're old, I don't want to believe that's the case. Um, I don't want to believe that we've – I mean, I – I get music, but is it possible to out-age sense of humor? I don't know. Is it, <laughs> it just, I don't it's know. It's <laughs> Can this same generation that thinks Damn Daniel is hilarious, and like I said, I'm not trying to degrade the kid or talk bad on him. Hell, I wish that I'd have said Damn Daniel to a kid in white vans and made money off of it. I mean, that's if I could have done that, trust me, I'd, I'd have done it. But do you think that generation of kids would still find uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, Richard Pryor? Well, I think it goes any, back to any of them funny. Well, it goes back to what we, we we discussed at the beginning of the podcast, where talking about censorship and understanding humor to begin with. I think the reason maybe something like that does go viral is, A, we live in a society where everything has to go viral, you know, people are online mm-hmm. 24-7. Second, I think the other part of it is the whole censorship and the way society is with comedy and shock value. And instead of it being like a Richard Pryor and a George, George Carlin where, you know, they just go out and blatantly say what needs to be said, <clears throat> what, what the generation now is seeing is, oh, it's but shock value because it's weird or it hasn't been said before. I think that's yeah. really what the problem is. Instead of it being actually like complete thought, it's just something quirky or Well and and you can take it for that or you can take it for even something as much as what you see constantly on the internet of people sharing people's things just so their stuff gets shared by those same people. Um the tit-for-tat of comedy, if you will. 
and you have, you know, kids posting utter shit on the internet, but they're trading it with their 25 friends who are going to post their, repost their stuff for them. And now these 25 kids are reposting it from another 25 kids. And then they're just like, well, I don't get it, but I don't want to seem not cool, so I'm going to repost it. And we're basically back to the participation trophy, where if you take – I'll just use Twitter as an example where somebody will retweet you, and then they go, well, hey, if I retweet you, will you retweet me? And they go, yeah. And now they they basically do it, and they're basically saying, hey, good job for just participating, whereas – when Twitter first got started, Twitter, a retweet actually meant something. Once upon a time, 100 retweets was, like, insane. And now it's like, if I don't get 100 retweets, I delete the tweet. Um, yeah. But I also so think it me, has, but maybe huh? it has to go, it could, it could also, I don't know, just a thought put out there, maybe the listeners will chime in on this later when they listen to this, but maybe it also has to do with how the internet is now and how people need to be validated by what they portray online because we're on it so much. And but see, that's a, sick, that's a sickness yeah. that entertainers have. When did the whole world get this? Because growing up, I remember third grade, fourth grade, every year the teacher asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everybody was doctors and lawyers and nurses and teachers and mommies. And I always, like, put a microphone in my hand and just wrote famous, like, since I was a little kid. And some could argue that's a sickness. What's the desire of wanting the attention and the approval of strangers so badly? Is <laughs> I can't imagine the whole world wants that. But with the Internet, it's it's starting to seem like everyone does. Yeah. But it, I mean, I, is the validation I mean, I, any good when it's bought? Or bartered with? I don't know. Yeah, that's the question out there. I mean, I guess it also depends on, you know, people's online personas versus them being real. Now, personally, I think it's exhausting to put on another persona because my own (coughs) personality keeps me going. But you know there are those out there that, you know, that's not... I mean, that's why catfishing existed. But that's but that's entirely who I am on the Internet, too. I can't be myself. I have to be what the Internet approves of. The things that I say elsewhere are far more vulgar, far more edgy. They cross the line. People have often told me, like, man, when I saw you or I follow you on Twitter and, you know, your jokes are always funny, then I come and see you and... And Sandman is completely different. I mean, it was a great show. It's just I did not expect that. I was expecting, you know, Justin Bieber tweets and and Taylor Swift jokes and what's up with the Kardashians or, you know, single, taken, married jokes the whole time. And it's just because when I put stuff out there on the Internet that is real, then the backlash is too heavy and it's just not worth it. Because it's almost like people will accept it if it's said but won't accept it once it's in writing, because, like, once it's in writing, it's etched in stone for forever. So you're forced to be less of what you really are. I mean, I think that's what Hollywood's all about in general, is is conformity to the masses. 
I don't know. So I, I, I wish, I don't think that too many people on the internet are who they are. Um, and that, that includes myself. So we're just subforms of ourselves. <laughs> yes, I mean, basically. I mean, I, I, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, I guess from when I started on social media to how I am now, obviously there's been an evolution because if we, you know, there's always been, when I first was on social media, I didn't care as much about filtering myself or professional, but now as, you know, things have evolved, there's all, there's those repercussions that people have. And like, again, it goes with the censorship of it all. I guess we come back to that, but I know I'm, I'm still myself, but, you know, slightly censored than probably just me out and about, right? So I, I mean, right. uh, and I think that's what most people are. And I think that some of the people that say that they're living a persona that's more edgy, that's probably more true to who they are in person. So I think that, that you're going to find a mismatch of individuals who are censoring themselves on the Internet and then individuals that are censoring themselves in real life. And uh, that's kind of the poetry that goes on with with the Internet. Um, but I just know it stresses the shit out of people who do it for a living. I bet. So speaking of that, I guess this is a good segue. I don't want to keep you from your evening. Um, so where, like, like you mentioned, you're doing more writing, but you have you also just mentioned that you do uh, stand up or go, you know, perform. So where can people find you? And other than your website, but um, uh, right now, like, right now, like I said, we're, uh, I'm, I'm ghostwriting for several comics right now, and that keeps me busy. We just relocated to San Diego, um, and I actually haven't touched a mic in almost five months. So, I'm not sure where I'm at, to be honest with you. I hit 30, and I always said that if I wasn't famous by 30, I was gonna completely wrap it up. Um, and so I'm not 100% sure yet. I am writing a new album for music, um, and so that that might happen. But right now, I'm just kind of enjoying the fact that I'm writing for others, uh, something that in the first part of my career, I just could not do. Uh, it was really, really hard to write a joke and see another comic tell it and not be able to take credit for it. Uh, but now, I've almost come to the uh, belief that it's better to have the joke be alive with someone else than dead inside of me. <laughs> so, um, I don't really know. Um, I've got a couple of offers out there. That, and I'm sorry, that's probably a poor ending to your show. Super depressing. Um, but I don't really know yet. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, touring with a daughter is, is going to be hard. Um, and I knew that once my wife got pregnant originally. Um, so I don't know. I've got a couple of different options that I'm trying to look at, but right now I'm I'm writing, uh, which is still better than a real job, and uh, focusing on whatever the hell's going to come next. Um, but you can always catch me on Twitter. I do the occasional podcast when people ask nicely, um, and I mean, 
I'll still hit an open mic here shortly because if you take too much time off, you do start going nuts. Um, and not to be discouraging or melodramatic, I, I do still encourage everyone to go out there and chase their dreams and all that fun stuff. But since half this conversation has basically been about how everything that I've ever loved is being taken away and stripped down and not accepted, uh, it's been a very, very awkward last year. So, um, who knows? Maybe I'll do what comedy is supposed to do and go out and, you know, guns blazing and just do a set that's 100% the way that I've always written before. Um, that's kind of the dream. But all in all, you can just you're gonna have to edit the shit out of this terrible ending. <laughs> no, that means like, that, wow, we had some really positive shit, and then you just like went dark. Um, I don't know. Like I said, segue into something else. Um, I mean, you said that you're getting back into comedy, um, and you're trying to hit it a little bit hard. Uh, well, no, not, me, not personally. Like, I guess what I'm saying is that like I've always valued and respected the forum and always wanted been a fan and then for a while I just really didn't pay that much attention but in the last year or so I've kind of like really gotten back into it and just I find it fascinating to hear everybody's kind of journey and their path and everybody you know every comic or comedian that I, I speak to they're that they, you know everybody has their own story so I just find it different and and People growing up have told me that I'm hilarious, but I've never really, like, gone out and actually done an open mic. So, I don't know. Um, well, you should. You should do it just so you've done it. You'll probably bomb, or who knows, you could be amazing. There's That seems to be the pattern. They're either, either absolutely bombing, which, trust me, will break your heart slightly, but you'll feel better for it. Um. Or who knows, you might find that you have something. And uh I always think that's a good thing, especially with women. Because, you know, women have always got the, uh the oh, female comics aren't funny thing. And um I don't think that's true, but it is true in a sense of men won't laugh at women jokes. Like, you can't tell me a period joke or... You know, a women experience joke and it'd be funny because it's not, because men don't get it, it's gross. So that really underhands you. Whereas a men can talk about a penis joke or getting kicked in the balls joke and both sexes will laugh. So I've never believed that women aren't as funny. I just believe they're kind of given a, a smaller audience and it's more of a challenge. Um, there's a lot of old sayings that say, you know, oh, um, Men are stronger than women, but a strong woman is better stronger than ten men. I'm probably butchering that saying, but I'm sure you've heard it. And to me, that really does apply to comedy. When a when a woman comes out and kills it, is it's so impressive. Um, and I think that too many women have been shorthanded when it comes to trying to do stand up because of that. So I'm always very much pro pro lady. Go out there and try it. Uh, because you might surprise someone. Is that why we're seeing, I mean, Amy Schumer is killing it, Whitney Cummins is killing it. 
Elijah Schlesinger is um, doing it right now. You are. You like are. A shift. It, I don't know if it's a shift, um, but I think that it's it's one of those things where um, women are trying to say everything that they wanted to say, but have for years not said. As mixed of a jumbled sentence as that was. And I think that women are opening up their, um, Rolodex of jokes. Whereas, you know, it first came out, women, women tend to only do one segment, um, because of the shock and awe when they tried to compete with men and it didn't really work as well. But now with modern society being more open to everything, women can talk about more experiences that for years were down, looked down upon. Um, I mean, you look at Chelsea Handler, whose books alone were, would have been, you know, absolutely berated 50 years ago. But today, society just looks at it and goes, ah, fuck it, it's Chelsea. So, I mean, I definitely think that the the playing ground is bigger. Uh, I still think it's going to always be more of a struggle for women. And it's not because men are better than women. It's It strictly is because of the fact that women can relate more to men's jokes than men can relate to women jokes. So it's not for every joke, but it's just there are certain jokes that women – there's no man – like women tell period jokes and women laugh at it. There's not a man in the world that finds a period joke funny because we're so grossed out by this natural thing that happens. Uh, and I don't know – I don't know if that'll ever change. I know that's just one instance, but I'm saying it kind of covers a grasp thing of there's a lot of jokes that women can tell that'll be very funny to women, but won't be funny to men. And I think it kind of goes in the same lines of um, most men finding fart jokes funny and women not finding it funny. But I, I think that there's a broader spectrum of the women jokes that men just don't, we can't relate to. Um shaving your legs, wearing skinny jeans, stuff like that. That I mean, granted, there's a little bit more crossover now than there ever was before with those two things and other things and other avenues. But for the most part, I think it's just all been about rel- relatable content. And I think that the relatable content is opening up, which is why we're finding more success. But I don't know. Write a five-minute bit, go to a local uh, open mic, and give it a shot. There's a couple of good books. Uh, the Comedy Bible is one of the best books in the world. And it's written by a woman as well. And I will tell you, I used that since I was in uh, a junior in high school. And I think that uh, if you ever t- decide to take it seriously, get that book. Uh, check it out. And just play around with it. Who knows? Worst case scenario, you, you just try something new for once that uh, you'll have a whole new admiration and outlook for afterwards. True. I mean, there's it's kind of, I really have nothing to lose for, by trying. But. No. I mean, just just an embarrassing night, but I mean, tequila can do the same thing. That's <laughs> true. It's very true. All right, so uh, before I let you go, where can people find you to follow whatever is said on Twitter that we had? <laughs> you can about. find me you can find me at William Rogers on Twitter. That's R-O-D-G-E-R-S. You can find me at WillRogersComedy.com. Uh, I did just open up a Instagram. I think it's Will Rogers Comedy. Um, 
So there's there's those three things. And then I will be updating some stuff. I will probably be putting out a new album either at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Uh, I am writing on that. Um, but hopefully I have some other projects that are going to get greenlit. I am writing some movies. I am writing some screenplays. So hopefully some of that aspect will start opening up because that is a different chapter of my career and a different chapter of my life that I'd like to see come to fruition. Awesome. Well, that's all positive, so it's great. So I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. And it is well, thank time. you for listening to me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, I, you know, I enjoy it. So I'm sure the listeners will as well. So uh, I hope you have a great evening and we'll, we'll stay in contact, you know, online or whatever, whatever comes our way. All right. Sounds good. You have a great night. All right. You too. Bye-bye.